don't have a copy, so uh, be sure to pick one up if you like their $5 per copy, uh, if you'd like to donate it, and uh, I think you can get copies outside. But uh, sort of as a part of our series, we want to have people share a little bit about their experience, uh, at least beginning of it, going through the story. And so today we're going to have Joe Serenici come up forward and give us a little bit of a sharing about um, what the story has meant to him so far. So Joe, thank you. Morning, happy Sunday. Um, I wanted to share something brief with you guys. Um, it happened about three weeks ago. Um, so what happened was I, I came home from, actually I was going to work, and um, my, cu- my, my neighbor was outside. He's a pilot, so he's never home. He always travels back and forth. And um, he was sharing with me that during work, he, he did something that he, he's never done before. And that's, um, you know, he kind of lashed out on some of his coworkers. And so he, he mentioned something profound, but yet simple. He said, you know what, Joe? This never happened to me before. And I realized because I wasn't close to God. So I, I kind of thought about it throughout the day. And as I was driving, um, I was thinking to myself, you know, Lord, I just want this relationship with you, this simple relationship. Um, I just want to be close to you. I just, I just want to have this relationship. And the reason why I mention this and share this story with you is because during our um, Bible study group, Pastor Curtis, one of his prayer requests was to have this story, the, the book that we're reading right now, to touch one of us here at, at Harvest, to each uh, one of us and, and all of us, actually. And so that's the reason why I brought it up. And I guess the pastor... Pastor Curtis's prayers, um, his prayer request is already touching me. So, and, and I guess the story means to me that, you know, I should have this relationship with God. It's simple, it's easy to do, but at the same time, it's easy not to do. So it's, it's really up to, to us to just make the simple decision and say, you know, I'll just have this, you know, this relationship with God daily, 24-7 a day. So I guess my hope for, for us all is to just make that right decision and just make that very simple decision to walk with God. That's it. Thank you, Joe. The story. The story is like a big puzzle. How many of you like doing puzzles? Some of you like doing puzzles. I hate doing puzzles. Um, I don't like doing it because I'm not patient. I, I don't... Well, I'm not willing to take the time to do what is needed. I'll, I'll get started on a puzzle, um, and, and I'll start it because it looks like a great thing to do. You get this thousand-piece puzzle, and you have a picture. It's a real pretty picture, and then you open it up, and it's like, oh, my gosh, there's so many pieces. But when you start a puzzle, where do you start? You start on the edges, right? So it's easy. So you start separating it out. You get all the flat pieces, and then you begin to put it all together. And that forms the boundary. And that's what we're doing right now. As we look at the story, we're forming the boundary so that we can begin to better understand the whole story. And if you're here today, you came at the perfect time because we're right at the beginning of the story. So last week, we saw what God was up to when he began to make the world the way you and I have it today, the way we see it, when God began to make the world, he was putting, putting the borders around the puzzle of the picture that we call life. And so for those of you who weren't here last week, and even for those of you who were, we're going to have a simple reminder of what we learned last week so we can begin to see the big puzzle pieces and the boundaries of it. So we have a short video right now that will remind us of what we learned last week. In the beginning, the earth was a dark, empty blob. God spoke and created the entire world. Light, sky, fish, birds, and animals. Then God said, let us make human beings in our own image, and created man out of dirt. And the man became a human being named Adam. After six days of work, God took a rest. 
God then put Adam in a garden where there were two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told Adam, eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you will die. Eventually, God caused the man to fall asleep, took out one of his ribs, and created a woman who Adam named Eve. God joined Adam and Eve together in marriage. Later, a serpent came and convinced Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, saying they would become like God if they did. Eve took a bite, and then so did Adam. Because of this choice, God cursed the serpent as well as Adam and Eve and forced them out of the garden, away from the tree of life. Outside the garden, Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer and Abel was a shepherd. When they made sacrifices, God accepted Abel's sacrifices of animals, but not Cain's sacrifice of crops. This made Cain so angry that he murdered Abel. People began to populate the entire earth, and wickedness and tragedy continued to spread. God was sad and regretted ever making human beings and decided to wipe them from the face of the earth. But God found one man, Noah, who walked faithfully. So God instructed Noah to build a giant boat called an ark and to take his entire family along with a male and female of every kind of animal onto the boat. For 40 days it rained and the entire earth was flooded, wiping out every living thing, plants, animals, and humans, all of it destroyed. Eventually, the flood stopped and the ark came to rest on dry land. Noah and his family came out of the ark and God made a promise that the entire earth would never again be completely flooded. God put a rainbow in the sky as a reminder of this promise, and God looked for someone who God could use to bless the entire world. Okay, so you just read the first eight, nine chapters of Genesis. So you're all caught up now with the big picture. And God is doing something important. He's building a world. And when he begins to build the world, everything begins perfectly. Everything begins just right. God has made the world for man and woman to enjoy. He's made animals for them to be with. He's made a world for them to eat from. He's put them in a place of paradise, a place where nothing can go wrong until they choose to do what God told them the one thing they could not do. And when that sin and that began in the hearts of man, God's world began to fall apart. And the way that he made it and the way that he wanted it was no longer going in that direction. And so God wanted to start all over again. And he had the thought, as we saw in the video, of just wiping out the whole world. But God just couldn't give up. God never gives up. And so God decided that though he had built a world to be perfect, and though it was no longer perfect, that he would rebuild. And he would rebuild by building something else that was new. He was going to build a whole new nation. And so from Noah, he began to rebuild the world. Noah had some sons, and one of the sons' name was Shem. And if you read in the Old Testament in Genesis, you'll see that one of Shem's descendants was a man named Abram. And so many years after Noah had lived on the earth, one of his descendants, Abram, was living and following after the ways of this world. But God had compassion on Abram. And God called Abram to be out and to go into the world. And God was going to have him do something, but he didn't know, Abram didn't know what God was going to do. All God said is, I'm going to build something through you. How many of you like to build? How many of you like to build things? Only a few of you. I love to build things, all right? All right, I love to build things, but I'm just really bad at it, all right? How many of you um, have ever bought something from a store that you had to build yourself? 
All right? Even there's more of you. So there's a lot of us who don't like to build, but we've all tried, right? Well, one of my favorite places to love and hate is Ikea, right? So, you know, if you've ever gone to Ikea, you go and buy this furniture in a box, all right? It's not put together. And there's a thousand pieces inside with 10,000 little pieces that you need to use to put it all together. And then they give you this instruction book, and it looks like this, all right? It looks like that. There's no words, right? There's no words. It's just pictures. And you're supposed to discern from these pictures how to put together something so that it'll look like this. All right? Now, I have tried multiple times to build things with Ikea. Inevitably, I always build it wrong. Right? And I'm still trying to follow the directions. I'm still trying to follow them the way it's supposed to go. But it's just hard. I think it's hard for all of us to follow the directions, even when we have them before us. But God continues to give us the directions. And even though we are not a perfect people, God can still use his instructions. What are his instructions? The story. And I can't think of a better way for us to grow and understanding what God wants to build in our lives than better than reading this book. And so God uses the story as his instruction manual of the way life is supposed to go. And so God begins by working with Abram, and he uses Abram as an example to you and I of how God builds. And he builds by, first of all, calling us. He calls us to step out and to do something different with our lives. So if you've ever come to God in your life, you've done something different. It's something that you probably weren't doing before. And so God was calling Abram, who was living in the world, in a land near Ur, and he was from a father named Terah. And you know what Terah was? Terah, Terah was an idol worshiper, an idol builder. And yet God saw something in the heart of Abram. And he saw something in the heart of Abram that he could use to build a whole new nation. So if you open up the storybook with me, Turn to page 13, and if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And there we'll read together the beginning of this story of God calling Abram. And what he's going to do is he's going to call Abram to step out in faith, just like God calls you and I to step out in faith and to depend upon his power to help us. You know, it, um, if you go online and you say, I'm having trouble with Ikea furniture, um, it'll take you to this website where there's these handymen that will help you to build your Ikea furniture. So if you don't know what to do, they'll send somebody. Of course, you have to pay them. But they'll send somebody to your house to fix what you've messed up and to put it together the right way. Those people have the power. They have the knowledge of knowing what to do. God has the power and the knowledge to show us what to do. And so he's calling Abram out in faith, and this is what he begins to say. So chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. And that will end with the quote. So we're going to read up to the end of the quote there of what God says where he's going to bless Abram. So let's read it out loud together. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Okay, so let's read verse 2 and 3. I will make you into a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people's honor will be blessed through you. And so God is calling Abram to step out in faith. And he's calling Abram to believe him, to believe him. Now, I think everybody here most likely would say, I believe in God. I believe in God. But what Abram shows us is that there's something much more important than just believing in God. And that is believing God. That's believing that what he says is true. It's like, have you ever had a friend or somebody that you cared about and you told them something that was really important, and you said, I need you to believe me. 
I just want you to believe me. Or have you ever shared something with somebody and they didn't believe you and it hurt so badly? You said, you know, this is what I really, really want to do. This is what I believe I can do. And they don't believe you. They don't believe you can do it. It just breaks your heart. And God is a person. And God is saying, I don't want you just to believe in me. I don't want you just to believe that I'm here. I want you to believe me. I want you to take a step out and believe that I am who I say I am and that I will lead you. And so in verse 4 of Genesis chapter 12, we see that Abram shows what it means to believe God. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. 75 years old. I'm glad to say I'm not even there yet. And God was calling him in his old age to believe him and to step out and to go someplace where he didn't even know where he was going. God wants us to believe even if we don't know where it's going to lead. Abram was going out. He didn't yet know where he was going. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, the story in the Bible says, By faith, Abram, when he was called to go to a place where he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So God wants us to understand as we read the story that we're going to get a lot of information in the story. We're going to read a lot of facts about God. We're going to read a lot of facts about history. But that's not the objective Information's good. Information's necessary. But the purpose of information in reading the Bible and reading the story is for application. The purpose of information is to apply it into our lives. And so Abram applies it by believing God and showing us that we are to follow him and that we can follow him even when we don't know where it will lead, even when we don't know where we're going, as it says in Hebrews. That's what Abram was rewarded for by God was by trusting him. And then he had to believe God, even when it was difficult. And this is what it is when you and I have a faith that's more than information, but a faith that's transforming us because we're applying it. And that is that when we believe, we won't give up. Just like God doesn't give up on us. God doesn't want us to give up believing in him. Now, he understands that since we're going someplace that we don't know exactly yet where we're going, that it's not easy. But it's just like a child. When you're getting them dressed up at home and you're taking them out somewhere, and they're saying, where are we going? You say, well, I'll tell you later. Just get dressed. And so we dress them up, and we get them into their clothes, and then we get them into the car, and they go, where are we going? They go, we'll tell you when we get there. And the child continues to follow the parents. They don't know where the parents are going. But because they love the parents, because they trust the parents, they get into the car and they go where their parents are taking them. And then finally, the parents arrive at the doctor's office. <laughs> and the child goes, oh, why are we here? Because, well, you know, there's somebody who you want to see. No, I don't want to see the doctor. No, you do. Trust me. Because you're going to get a shot. I know, I know, no, don't run away, don't run away. My children would just run away. You know, they would actually see us driving towards the doctor's office and they'd go, where are we going? You know, they would know the path because we would go there a lot when they were young, so they get their immunizations. It was so important that they would get their shots so that later on in life they wouldn't get terrible disease. They had to trust their parents to lead them. They didn't know where they were going. God is calling you and I to trust him with all of our life, to give to him everything that we have. We don't know where we're going yet, but God knows where we're going. And he wants us to have a persistent confidence in him. That's what it means to believe God, not just to believe in him. It means to believe him so much that I won't give up and I'm going to consistently pursue him. And that's what Abram did. In Romans chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, the Bible tells us about why it was so hard for Abram and his wife Sarai to believe in God. And that was because they were 75 years old and they didn't have a baby. 
And as you and I read in Genesis chapter 12, God made a promise to them. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make a nation out of you. I'm going to bless the whole world by you. And they understood what that meant. That meant that God was going to bring somehow through them and from them a people to populate the earth, a people who would go out into the world and be a blessing to the world. But Abram and Sarah had a problem. They couldn't have babies. They were a barren couple, and she was way past menopause, and there was no way she was going to have a baby. But God said, believe me and trust me. And so we read in Romans chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, even against all hope, Abram in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offsprings be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That's what it means to believe God, that God has the power to do what he's promised. If God says that when you die, if you believe in me, you will go to heaven. He has the power to do that. If God says that you will place your faith in me and you trust me, I will answer your prayers and you will walk with me and I will be your God, he will do that. If God says that if you seek me and you will seek me with all of your heart, then you will find me, he will do that. If God says that you are having heavy burdens and you feel weary and you need rest, but you come to him, and he says, I will give you rest. He will do that because he has the power to do it. And he's calling us to believe that power for whatever needs that we have. To have a persistent confidence in him. This is what the story is going to teach us about a God that we can trust. A God that will be with us no matter how hard life will get. Now, life will get hard, and life does get hard for Abraham and Sarah. It's not easy. It's not just a piece of cake. She doesn't just suddenly get pregnant and pop out a baby nine months later. They have to wait quite a while. Abram was 75 years old when he got the promise from God that he would be the father of many nations. But it was about 11 years later, and they still didn't have a baby. And they were facing a test, a trial about whether or not they would keep trusting God. God wants all of us to know we're going to face tests. And God wants us to know that every test has one main purpose. So no matter what you're going through right now, whatever test it would be, whatever trial it is, whatever pain you're going through, wherever you link that up to God, wherever you say, oh, I have this problem, and I'm just wondering why God isn't working it out, or I have this problem, and I sure hope God will answer my prayers. Wherever it is that you're having a problem, and you say, God, you know, this is something I would pray about. This is something that I need. This is something I don't understand. This is something that's just way too big for me, God. God has one objective in that trial, one objective in that test, and that is that we will trust him. That every test that God brings into our life has this one ultimate desire, that God would see that we believe him and trust him. Because without trust, we will always fail. Without trust, there will always be trouble. If we don't trust God, then we can be sure that what will happen won't be what God wanted for us. And that's what happened to Abraham and Sarah. Now, you can't really blame them, right? He was 75 years old. He knew he couldn't have a baby. Sarai couldn't have a baby. And now 11 years has gone by, right? So now Abram's 70, 86 years old. He's not any closer to being a father. And he wants to be a father so much. And so Sarah has a plan. And this was very common in their day. It was very normal that if a, a woman and her husband couldn't have a baby, that the woman would give one of her servants to her husband 
and he would have a baby through her. And that baby would then be their baby. And so Sarah says, you know, Abram, it's been 11 years since God promised you. Maybe what God wants is for you to take my servant Hagar and to have a baby. And Abram doesn't fight the idea. And so Abram goes, gets together with Hagar, and Hagar gets pregnant. Wow. All right. This must be God's plan. And so Hagar has the baby. And the baby's name is Ishmael. And God makes it very clear, very clear to Abram, because he talks to him, all right? And he tells him, this wasn't my plan. I told you that you are going to have a baby, and that baby is going to come from you, and it's going to come from Sarah, and it wasn't supposed to come from Hagar. However, Hagar has a baby. And so this is what I'm going to do. And so in Genesis chapter 16, verse 11, the angel of the Lord, which many theologians believe is the Lord, personified through an angel, the angel of the Lord also said to her, and this is speaking to Hagar, you are now with child and you will have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. Abram and Sarah were being tested. They learned the hard way. They failed the test. Sarah gave Hagar to Abram. Ishmael was born. And now God says to Hagar, you're going to have a son. And he too is going to become a nation. But he is going to be a nation that's going to fight against the children of Abraham. All of them. All the time. He is going to be hostile towards his brothers. And if you go back through history and you go back through the annals of all time, you will see that Ishmael was the father of all the Arab nations. So Ishmael started a tribe of people that continue to this day to be the nations that we would call the Muslim nations, the Arab nations. And we know how they fight against Israel. We know how there's animosity all the time. We know how every place in the world is pointed towards the Holy Land, watching for what's happening there. Because that's the powder keg of the world. That's where God is always working. And Ishmael became a hindrance to Abraham. He became trouble for Abraham. And so just like if we're building Ikea furniture and we stop following the directions, we start at one point, but in the middle we go, hey, you know, I think I got this all figured out. And it just turns out inside out, just like mine did. And so God doesn't want us to end up with trouble. God wants us not to depend on our own strength. God wants us to trust him, even if our story doesn't make sense. God wants us to continue to trust him, even if our story doesn't make sense. So you get into a relationship. You promise God you're going to stay in this relationship till death do you part. It doesn't make sense. You're going through a really hard time. Carol and I have been there. Illness. Illness we didn't plan on. Began to ravage our family. We didn't understand it. We didn't know how to deal with it. We have children. You know, you think they're going to improve your world. Wrong. I mean, they do, all right? Okay, they do. They improve your world. They also complicate it. An awful lot. Okay? God gives and God reminds us. Though, you know, everything you planned, it was supposed to turn out a certain way. But at certain points, at critical points, you know, it just doesn't make sense. You work really, really hard. You go to school. You study really, really hard. You get really, really good grades. The economy falls off the edge of the cliff. And you can't find a job. It doesn't make sense. You work really hard. You take care of yourself. You eat really good food. You exercise. And then you still get a life-threatening disease. It doesn't make sense. That's what happens when sin enters into a world. 
that God didn't want that to happen, but it does. And God has an answer. And that answer is he wants to build something new in you, and he wants to build something new in me. And that something new begins with trusting God, even when our story doesn't make sense. Turn with me, if you have the, the story Bible, turn to me to page 19. Page 19, and sort of we're going to start reading right in the middle. Um, or if you have your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, verse 2. So if you have the Story Bible, page 19. And if you have a Bible, Bible, Genesis 22, 2. So if you look right in the middle of page 19, you'll see there's a space, and it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And then there's verse 2. Would you read with me if you have a story? Would you read the next paragraph, that sentence with me? Let's say it together. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Okay. Fourteen more years have come and gone. Ishmael is 14 years old. When Abram was 99 years old, God came to him again through angels and said, now, a year from now, I'm going to fulfill the promise I made to you when you were 75. And that promise is that Sarah, your wife, is going to have a baby through you, and you're going to name him Isaac. And the name Isaac means laughter, because they were filled with laughter. Sarah was filled with joy, and they named their baby laughter. And so Isaac was born, and Isaac was growing up, and Isaac was becoming the pride of their life, and Isaac was everything that God had promised to them. He was going to be the answer to what God had said about building a whole new nation. Isaac was going to grow up. Isaac was going to have a wife. Isaac was going to have children. His children were going to have children. Their children were going to have children. And then the whole earth would be populated with people who were descendants of Abraham and Isaac, and they would populate the world like the stars of the sky or the sand on the seashore. And God says, yes, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to bless the world through Isaac. He's the right one. But I just have this one little test for you. Isaac's a teenager now. And God comes to Abram and he says what we just read. Abram, I want, to take, I want to take you, and I want you to take Isaac, and I want you to go to a mountain called Moriah. And there I want you to sacrifice Isaac, your son, and I want you to know that this is exactly what I call you to do. That doesn't make sense. That just doesn't make sense. Why would God want to test me like that? Why would God make a promise and then take it away? Because God will always fulfill his promises, but he always wants to build our trust. And though we don't know where it's going, and though it doesn't make sense, God expects us to trust. And Abraham knows God loves him. Abraham has seen the promises of God come true. And so Abraham does trust him. And if you go down to the bottom of page 19, or you go to verse 6 in Genesis chapter 22, the Bible says this, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham didn't understand fully. But he would still obey 
fully. And so Abraham takes his son, takes a knife, takes some wood, takes some fire, and he puts the wood on the back of his son Isaac, and they walk up the mountain. But notice that Abraham has faith. Abraham believes that God will come and rescue them. Because Abraham tells his servants, the boy and I are going to go up on this mountain and we're going to worship the Lord. And when we're done worshiping, we will come back. So though he knows that God has called him to sacrifice his son Isaac, he already believes that God is going to do a miracle and somehow bring Isaac back to life and the two of them will come back down the mountain after worshiping God. He trusts God even when he doesn't understand because he believes God can do a miracle. And that's the same for you and I. That when God asks us to do something that we know he wants us to do, but it just doesn't make sense, you can depend upon God to do a miracle to make it work out, to make it come true, to be sure that his promises are done. Abraham went up on the mountain and he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac when the angel of the Lord came to him and said, Abraham, stop, don't do it, don't. Now I know you really trust me, you don't have to do this. And so Abraham stopped and he untied Isaac and they looked and there in the, stuck in the, in the um, over on the side was a ram. And Abraham got the ram out of the thicket and brought him and sacrificed the ram. And he said, God himself will provide the sacrifice for us. 2,000 years later, the picture of what Abraham did was relived again. About 2,000 years later, God's only son, Jesus, came to the world. Moriah just happens to be the same place as Jerusalem. And so when Jesus climbed Golgotha, the hill, he was climbing in the same area where Moriah was. And again, some theologians believe it was the exact same mountain. But it was definitely Moriah and Jerusalem as the same. And then that time, God himself, the Father, did sacrifice his son, Jesus, on the cross. And he let Jesus be our sacrifice. He let Jesus' blood be for our forgiveness. He let his son, the Lamb of God, be slain. I wonder if God ever wondered, gee, this just doesn't make sense. I wonder why I have to sacrifice my son for people who sin. But God knew. This was the only way. It did make sense. And it did make love that God cared so much for you and for me that he would sacrifice his own son so that you and I would not have to die. And that was the lesson that Abraham and Isaac learned, that God doesn't want to kill us. He wants to give us life. God doesn't want to judge us. He wants to forgive us. God wants us to know that as imperfect as we are, he has a plan for our lives and he wants us to follow him. And so God wants us to see in the life of Abraham and Sarah two very imperfect people, two very unlikely people. So if you're going to start a nation, you wouldn't start with an elderly couple who couldn't have babies. You'd probably start with a young couple who were very, 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 very capable of having children. But not God. He chooses unlikely, imperfect people. And so our story can still be used by him for his story. As God chooses unlikely, imperfect people like Abraham, like Sarah, and like Moses. Moses stuttered, and yet God used him as one of the greatest spokesmen for himself. David, the great king, was an adulterer and a plotter of murder. Samson, who was so strong, was filled with pride. Jonah literally ran away and disobeyed God. 
Gideon, who was later to become a great officer of an army, began by being fearful. Peter denied Jesus. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Thomas was a doubter. And the list goes on and on. That every person God uses in the Bible for himself is imperfect and unlikely. And that's good news for you and me. That God wants to work in our lives. That we are imperfect. And we may feel very much like unlikely candidates for changing the world. But God says, I pick you. I want you to know that I can use you no matter how you are, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And so God gave Isaac some sons. So from Abraham came Isaac, and from Isaac came Jacob. And Jacob was a son who had a few problems. He came from a dysfunctional family. He became a dysfunctional person. And so we read in Genesis chapter 32, the story about a of Jacob. Jacob had been trying to walk with God, but hadn't been doing a great job. He had deceived his brother Esau, and he had been separated from Esau for a number of years. And he knew that when Esau saw him the last time, Esau wanted to kill him. And though now it's many years later, Jacob's still afraid. He's thinking Esau's going to kill him. And so he begins to separate his tribe. He begins to separate his family. He begins to make a plan. And he begins to hope that Esau won't be to kill all of them, that some of them will get away. And then Jacob decides to pray and talk to God. And so in Genesis chapter 32, verses 24 to 28, we see what happens as Jacob goes to God. And the Bible says, So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip, so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. As unlikely, imperfect people, we will struggle with God. And God asked him, what's his name? Of course, God knew his name, but he wanted Jacob to reply. And so Jacob said, well, of course, my name is Jacob. And the name Jacob means cheater means cheater. I mean, how, you know, I, I don't know if any of you named your kid Jacob and you're wondering about that, oh my, or anybody named him Jacob. But how's you like going through life going, you know, hi, my name's Cheater. Hi, my name's Cheater. You know, I mean, it's just, what a way to live, right? But he has to acknowledge it. I've lived as a cheater all my life. And Jacob has to say, yes, that's my name. And God says, you know what? I'm going to change your name. Because you have worked really hard to overcome your foibles, to get rid of your vices. You've tried, but you've messed up. And so, Jacob, I'm going to change your name to Israel. And Israel means strives with God. And so Israel is a nation that continues to strive with God. The people of Jacob and his descendants would be people who continue to strive with God. But in each one, God had a plan and God had a purpose. Each one was an unlikely candidate, but God chose, God's in charge. God chooses the unlikely people. So if we go to page 26 in the story, you'll see a little chart there. You'll see a chart of all the unlikely people all the imperfect people that God used to build this nation, to build this people. And he starts with Jacob. And you can keep your finger there, but let's just sort of go back a little bit from where we began today. So God started with Abraham. God started with Abraham. And then Abraham had two children, Ishmael and then Isaac. But Abraham was wrong in choosing to have a son named Ishmael, so God let him know that. Let Ishmael live, but God still fulfilled his purpose and gave him Isaac. God chose Isaac. 
Isaac had two children, one named Esau and the other named Jacob. And Jacob was the second born, but he was a cheater. And he cheated Esau out of his birthright. And strange but true, God still chose to use Jacob to build his new nation. Jacob fell in love with a beautiful woman named Rachel. He worked really hard for Laban, Rachel's father, so that he could have Rachel as his bride. Laban cheated Jacob. And he exchanged Rachel for his ugly daughter, Leah. And it is true. If you look in the Bible, you will see that the Bible says Rachel had beautiful eyes, but Leah had really tired eyes, which is another way of saying Leah was tired looking. Right? <laughs> so Leah, this Leah, wasn't loved because she wasn't beautiful. But you know what? God didn't choose the beautiful one. God chose Leah. And it was going to be through Leah that God would build his kingdom. Because if you look down there on the chart, you see the sons of Leah at the very bottom of page 26. There's Simeon, Levi, and Judah. There's one more, Reuben. But it's Judah who God decides to use. Because it is from the tribe of Judah that a man named Joseph became a descendant of. Joseph was going to marry a woman named Mary. And so from all these unlikely people, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Leah to Judah to Joseph, God brings Jesus into the world. Unlikely imperfect people God uses. He uses your story to fulfill his story. And he wants to fulfill our story through his big story. Now the only thing harder and more frustrating than trying to build Ikea furniture is getting to the very end of it and realizing you don't have the necessary parts or you've broken a part or you just fully don't know what you're doing and you just give up because you don't have the last skill needed or the last part. And maybe some of us feel that way in our own lives. We've been trying to build something on our own, but we feel like there's just a part missing. The whole thing just doesn't seem to be coming together. I need something. I know I need something. I, I know I want something. I want this to come together. I want to build something out of my life. I want to build something good. But it's just not working. Because you know there's a missing part. And this part is the whole of God's story. That he wants to surround us and encompass us with the promise of his plan and the fulfillment of his promise through Jesus. That God is going to save the world through Abraham, and it's going to be from Abraham's descendants that the Savior of the world comes. So that we read in John chapter 3, verse 16. Would you read this with me? Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God does not want to condemn us. God wants to save us. God does not want us to perish, but he wants us to be found. He wants us to have all the parts together. You were made to be a part of God's big story. He made you to be with him. And so the story is an invitation to be with God all the time. To know and to walk in his story and to walk with him. And this is how it begins through Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, God's saying, you know what? Do you just believe in me or do you believe me? Do you believe the Bible's true or are you going to live the Bible? Do you believe it's real? You're going to read the Bible. And so this is what we're going to do 
And today is an invitation to all of us to continue to be committed to reading the story, to knowing the story of God, and to understand the fulfillment of his promise in Jesus. And that if you've never had the fulfillment of your life because you know there's that missing part, that is Jesus. And you can ask God to give you Jesus to fulfill your story in this world so that you can be absolutely certain that your story will continue into God's big story forever. And so as we pray, these are the two commitments I'm going to ask of you to think about. Will you commit to reading the story, to coming here and to listening to it, to reading it on your own before so that you will better understand what you believe and what you believe about God? And if you haven't, will you take Jesus to be that part of your life, to fulfill, to forgive, to make you the person you know you were made to be where you ask Jesus into your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your promise. And we thank you for your goodness. Lord, I pray. I pray for every person here that we would just answer this question. Do I believe in God? Do I believe in Jesus? Or do I believe God? Do I believe Jesus is who he says he is? And then, am I committed to knowing the story of God? Am I willing to read the Bible and know it and live it? And do I really place my faith in Jesus? Is my life really a part of his? And if it's not, and you want it to be, you can just simply tell him that right now with words something like this. Lord Jesus, thank you for being that sacrifice on the cross for me. Thank you for dying for my sins and accepting me. I receive your gift of eternal life. I receive and want your forgiveness. Lord Jesus, I give my life to you. I want to follow you all the days that I live, both now and forever. And if that's the prayer of your heart, God hears it. In his name we pray. Amen.